This episode is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country and we want to pay our respects to the original creatives of this land and their elders past, present and future. Welcome to Country Creatives. It's Amy. I'm just popping in to let you know that you might be expecting an episode that Caleb and Reese talked about in our previous show where they were continuing on how to present to clients after you've made your fabulous pitch document. If you haven't heard that episode, go back to episode 39 and check it out. It's a great one. What I'm here to tell you is that Caleb and Reese got a little bit excited about interviewing our next guest and kind of forgot to do the follow-up episode. So just wanted to let you know so you're not too disappointed, but stick around because it's a great episode. Welcome back to another episode of Country Creatives. We are your guests, Reese and... <laughs> we are your guests. <laughs> oh, no, we're your hosts and uh, you are Reese and I am Caleb. Yes. But we do have a really good guest on today. Yeah, we've got Hamish Riley who is a very old friend of mine and he's a creative person, but he's definitely carved his way through the financial industries, through mm. the bank as a mortgage broker and a bunch of other financial things. <laughs> so it's such a good summary. Now, before you go, oh, this episode isn't for me, it is full of really good advice when it comes to how you approach finance in business from a self-employed perspective and from starting out and, and wanting to achieve your goals and things to avoid yeah, that's right. It's all well and good to be the creative type and we make things look cool and we sell creative stuff. But if you ignore your finances and don't have a strategy for finance and income and spending, then you're setting yourself up for failure. So stick around and have a listen to Hamish. We have a good yarn and we have a bit of a laugh in the process. And I think that he made finance fun. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And stick around to the end if you want to hear about what you need to do to buy your own home. Yeah, that's a, actually such a great topic, isn't it? it As is. a self-employed person, what are you going to have to do to, to get your first house? Right, let's get into it. Hamish, big lad, thanks for joining us, mate. It's good to have you on an episode. My pleasure, Reese. Thanks for having me. Wow. What an honour it is. We don't, I don't think we have actually spoken to any uh, finance experts at all. No, I'm not live on air. Not live. <laughs> We've never spoken to any finance experts in business. <laughs> no, you are numero uno, Hamish. I'm keen just to set the foundation for your experience and how you're able to draw the conclusions and thoughts that you do. You probably chuck a little disclaimer in there as well. But do you want to just give us a, a bit of a heads up on, on your background and what you do? Yeah, definitely. So I've been in banking since I was 18. So straight out of school, straight into banking because I didn't have a, a joy or something I wanted to drive after like Reese did when we were younger. I just liked money. So I went into <laughs> banking. And then from there, I started as a financial planner and mortgage broker when I was 20. Went all the way through branch management, all the other thing, the banks are the boring stuff. I won't get into that. All the way through to setting up my own mortgage broking business back when I was 28. So it's, what, six years back now, feeling old. <laughs> and since then, I've also got into, I'm a celebrant. I've got into a bit of thing with venue management, such as Nimbus Rooftop Bar. 
and just a bit of all-rounder with Bendigo Beer and Bendigo on the Hop. Yeah, so. involved in a bit of community events. You probably wouldn't call yourself a creative as such, but I feel like you have that ability to switch it on and, and think creatively, even though you might not consider yourself a creative. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't consider myself creative, but when I have to, I do it. But I'm definitely someone who prefers to bring in specialists or someone who actually knows what they're doing, which is why I've got great mates like you and Patty who actually help me out with all those sort of things. You're an entrepreneur. Yeah, I like it. Forging your own new endeavours and doing things differently. I think it's more something like an undiagnosed ADHD where I just can't sit still and I end up doing new projects. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that. (laughs) Off to the next shiny thing. That's exactly it. (laughs) Yeah, and just in case we get a bit snarky at each other during this episode and you're like, geez, why are they so hostile? Hamish and I have known each other since or before we were teenagers. How old were we? I don't know. Ten, something right around there. Yeah, we've played squash for a long time, travelled to a lot of tournaments, I've kicked his ass in the game more than once, but <laughs> once, maybe once. you can count it on one hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you probably haven't given me as much financial advice as you should have throughout <laughs> our relationship. But it's the ongoing thing where friends don't reach out to you as much as what friends of friends will. So your friends have reached out to me and asked me things in the past, but when it is your best mate and when it is someone you are close with, you don't always want to tell them exactly what's happening with your finances as well. Yeah. It's a lot harder to do that. Yeah. Everyone holds it so close to their chest, how much they earn or what kind of position they're in. And it feels like maybe it's changing a little bit on that front. People are, can be a bit more open about it. I find it really weird, to be honest. Ed. I, I never really understood why people are so secretive about what they earn. Um, but And even then getting into business, I've talked money all the time. So... Uh, it's not odd to me to share lots of figures. Yeah, it mm. definitely used to be more taboo. And I think a lot of it comes back to our parents and things like that. If you talked about money and you gloated about it, you would know it as that wanker who's talking a bit too much and <laughs> talking about what he's got. Whereas yeah. these days, no, I'm just trying to be honest and talk about the success I've had and let's just actually celebrate that instead. Yeah. yeah. If you sort of approach from a different way about people not being nosy as such, but just an openness to share your findings and your learnings and it's a way to share success and knowledge for everyone else as well. Speaking about sharing some knowledge, we have got some really interesting topics that I think you could really help our listeners with uh, some understanding around. So there's a few foundational things. but Can you try and make finance fun though? (laughs) I'll do my best. (laughs) I don't wear suits anymore. I'm done with the suit life. (laughs) Nice. So I'm not the normal stuff shirt, but I'll make it as fun as I can while still making it so if you go speak to someone else you not sound like an absolute not yeah. <laughs> who taught you all this bullshit <laughs> <Yeah>. lingo <laughs> exactly. that's great yeah all right why don't you kick off caleb what's the first topic we want to hear about all right business setup i reckon is a, a really crucial thing it's one of those foundational topics when it comes to business and finance that if you do it certain ways it limits you in lots of other ways and there's opportunities that predicated on how you set things up to start with obviously you're going to get some good personalized advice but let's talk business setup and some of the things that you've seen haven't worked so well for people when it comes to creative industries yeah definitely the first thing i'll do which is the only banky thing i will do is just put a little disclosure out there, the fact that the advice and the things we're talking about today is general in nature. It does not go towards your individual needs, so please make sure you seek out personalised advice. That's the last thing I'll do, I promise. Oh, we should put that <laughs> in front of every one of our episodes, though, really. <laughs> we gave way too much advice. <laughs> we do give a lot of advice. <laughs> but thank you, Hamish. So basically what you're saying is do your own research, talk uh, to 100%. professionals about your particular 
situation. That's it. Reach out to people in your new community. There's always people that are willing to help out. Seek the right advice. All right. So business setup. Let's talk about a scenario is the best way to put it. Let's say most people I see come out of the out of uni, going straight into a PAYG job, pay as you go. So you're an employee without uh, using too many acronyms there. What happens is two or three years, you've got into a good income, you're earning good money, but you start to build up some clients on the side. What I've seen a lot of in the past is where someone will come out, they'll move into being self-employed as a sole trader, for example, and what they all of a sudden want to do is after six months, they go, let's buy a house, let's go do some funding, let's do something like this. But what they find is most banks or most lenders won't look at anyone or touch anything until they've actually been something for, say, two years once you actually go out. To backtrack there, the biggest thing is when you're going from your employee role, seek the right advice, talk to accountants, talk to people about that movement and how that's going to affect you in the future because there are so many different steps to go through. Okay, here's a question for you. Would it be a smart thing when you are being employed, setting up a sole trader ABN at the same time to build up that history, that banking history that uh, a bank's going to look at? 100%. The reason most people don't do that, and this is the, it's not necessarily the thing we like to talk about, I'm not meant to talk about, cashies. <laughs> I understand why they don't want to pay tax. But that's the reason people don't set up the ABNs is they want to get the cash jobs and have spend the money themselves, which is nice. But shooting yourself in the foot, aren't you? You are, but it's hard because I get it. You want to save the 30% you're not paying on tax. I completely get it. But it, it does hurt you long term. Yep. So say you've done things the clever way and you've got maybe a year or two of financial transactions in your sole trader ABN. What are some other common ways that people might start and the benefits and downfalls of those like different structures? Once again, make sure you go speak to an accountant because they're going to give you the specifics and the update information. But the basics of it is if you're a sole trader, anything you have under you, whether it's debt or otherwise, that goes to, that's you, that hurts you directly. But when it's under a company, there's ways that's, for example, if you have a car loan under your company structure, you go for a home loan, there's ways that we can have it so that, that car loan doesn't actually affect you in your home loan. And that $40,000 car loan might be costing you eighty dollars to $150,000 in borrowing power. So it's something you definitely need to think about. Uh, so the, the risk is if you go out and you, you're operating as a sole trader and you're getting some good cash flow, you look at the big number, which is your revenue coming in, and you think that's all available to play with. <laughs> 100%. And but it's to, not. Well, we'll go to another acronym now, BAS, for example. Uh-huh. Um, Pretty much every person that's come out straight out of being uh, an employee and gone into having their own business falls into the trap where they haven't been putting away their money for their tax and all their other bills. Mm-hmm. And they get a year down the track and all of a sudden they've got a, a $10,000 tax bill. This is something that's early on creatives and people earlier in their career really struggle to get their head around is, do I charge for GST? Am I registered for GST? I don't know. But basically... You have to earn a certain amount before you must register for GST. Now, you can earn under that and register for GST and pay GST on top of your personal income tax. Yep. But is the number, it's around $80,000. 75 was the 75. last time I looked at it. It was when yeah. I did mine, which is like eight years ago now. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, 75 yeah. was what I had in my head. That's right. And so just to backtrack slightly, BAS is a business activity statement. <laughs> yeah. This t- took me a little while to get my head around, if I'm going to be honest. That's a, a statement that outlines how much GST you owe. If you're registered for GST, how much GST you owe from the sales that you've made yep. to the government, how much GST you've paid, so how much the government owes you, 
and how much you've set aside for tax or you should have set should have aside set what tax. your tax yeah. bill is for the quarter. So you get four of these a year. They, they do them monthly now. You can do monthly as well. You yeah. can do monthly, but yeah. Just wanted to touch on as well to explain this in case people will move on. If you already know it, you'll be like, this is boring, but let's just <laughs> let's do all the basics first. Yeah. So I am charging GST as an extra 10% on everything that I do. And then I need to put that 10% away into a separate bucket somewhere or at least know that some of that money is not mine. Yep. But a way to bring down your GST payable, like how much you have to pay in GST, is by paying other people who <laughs> charge GST. And so the more GST you pay through paying other people, it comes, it's such a weird thing. Like it's so confusing, but then that yeah. comes off and you pay the difference between those two amounts. Is that, is am I on the right track there? Correct. The GST pretty much wipes itself out. For example, if you've made three grand in GST sales for the month, but then you paid rent on something that cost you 10 grand and it's a thousand dollars worth of GST you've paid, you're only paying $2,000 of GST to the government. Best way to put it. Yeah, easy. No worries. Cool. So make sure, so the, the first thing is if you're registering for GST, you need to get your head around that. Yeah. yeah. And the classic thing, there's there's two ways of charging for things is including GST or excluding GST when you're just communicating a price to a client. A lot of businesses and most businesses, it's different in different industries, but uh, I always encourage people to charge excluding GST. Now, the only difference is how you communicate the price to a client. So you could say on your quote, it's this is gonna be $1,000 excluding GST. That means that it's gonna cost them $1,100 because it's the GST is 10% of whatever you've said, right? 100%. All businesses understand that there's 10% of what you're charging them that they're just, they're gonna get back, right? Pretty much on their own GST bill. If you don't account for the 10%, then it's gonna hurt you by 10%. You can't just work out what it's gonna cost you and charge a client that. Mm. You're gonna work out what it's gonna cost you to do and put 10% on top because that is your GST amount. You're not gonna get that. There's one other little fun fact I might chuck in there and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but from what I understand is if you're quoting a price to the general public, your price must be inclusive of GST. But if you're doing a business to business transaction, you can quote an X GST price. Am I, is that? I, 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 it's a general rule some people usually do, but I think it more okay. comes down to who you're communicating to. Because if you're communicate, communicating to someone who doesn't deal with business stuff, then they, everyone expects that all taxes are included in their price. The price is Whereas the price. Whereas anyone yeah. who's a business who works with this every day, we know the fact that. No, everything you charge me, you put the GST on top. That's going on top. That's exactly right. It's not a must, but if you say to someone, this is going to cost you a thousand bucks, and then you give them a bill for 1100, they're going to be, hey, hey what is going on here? You said a thousand bucks. But at, that's generally going to be a, a member of the public because they're not claiming back. Think of it like a, a plumber. If they're going out to do a job at someone's house, they're not going, oh, we're going to charge you 300 bucks, but we're also going to charge you $30 for your GST. It's, no, we charge you three thirty. That's the price. Yeah. Whereas if they go into someone's business, they're going to go, yeah, it's that, and then we just expect the GST is going to be on top. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. That was not fully boring. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> there's something that maybe might pique people's interest. So we'll move on to the next topic of debt and mm. debt cycles. What not to do? Common mistakes. All of the stuff like. People go into business, Hamish, you were saying before, and they think, oh, look at all this money that I've earned. It's just straight in my pocket or it's just sitting there as a cash bundle. What kind of tips might you give people to budget 
correctly and, and invest their money back into the business in the right way? Yeah, so, so number one is to actually have a budget. Most people, when they set up and they have a business, they don't actually have a budget in place. They don't know what they want to, they need to live off as a minimum cost. And I mean, as a minimum as well, not I want 80 grand to live my life. So to earn that 80 grand, you actually have to earn 120 or 110 by the time you want to pay maybe a bit of rent or you have to buy your goods for your business. You have to do all these sort of things. It's not, I have to earn 80 grand as a gross. It's I have to earn 120K to make that 80K to actually live my life. All right, yeah. you said a couple of things there. You said gross. Uh-huh, and which also leads us to talking about net. <coughs> mm-hmm. And I also, let's just quickly, so that when we use that terminology through this chat, we understand what we're talking about. But also I want to find out what should be on a budget like you've started to explain. If you can keep it, if, if someone was starting off from on a scratch spreadsheet or on a notepad, what should they include? So let's start with net and gross. Yeah. So the best way to think about net and gross is think about you as a PAYG when you first got your, you got your first job. Your gross income is what, you know, you're earning sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. That's your gross income. But the net income is what you get in your bank account after you pay your tax and all your other bits and pieces. So your net income versus your gross. The gross is before any of your costs and all your other expenses come in. Gross is the big number. Yep. And it's really gross that you don't get to pocket all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is and gross. gross. The net is what you're actually catching in your net to take home that's after what hits your bank expenses. Account. And that's from an employee's perspective. It's super easy for them because the employer so sense, yeah. takes it out for you. You don't have to worry about your tax because the employer just sorts it out for you. 100%. And the world itself is actually goes towards PAYG people. Like when it comes to being a, going for a loan, it is easier when you are working for someone else than when you are self-employed. Yeah, It is simpler to do most things in life when you are an employee, when you're not self-employed. Self-employed, the moment you actually do that and take that step, you need to give yourself a pat on the back because you have to get ready for, there's a lot of great things, but there's a lot of hurdles and a lot of pain that you actually have to do just to even understand what you have to do, like mm-hmm. bass and all it's that a stuff learning we're talking curve. about already. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said make it fun, not depressing. Yeah, <laughs> <all of> <laughs> but it goes back to, if you go back to school now, I wish they could go back and actually go, don't teach me the stuff yeah. I'm never going to learn. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm never going to Teach use. me mm-hmm. business. Teach me how tax work. Teach, teach me about how credit cards are bad debt and it's going to hurt me in the future. Teach me those things. Mm-hmm. Don't teach mm-hmm. me Man. whatever those random things might have been. 100%. Yeah, money management. That oh. should be a... 100% a subject at school, should it not? Considering we didn't learn that, give us a little rundown now, mate. <laughs> How are we going to build this budget for a self-employed, or maybe you've got a company, like let's not overcomplicate it. You just, yeah. well, we'll you've got your own business. Self-employed. Work off um, self-employed and a sole trader style because the company's different again. Different. It has other complexities to it. But the number one thing you actually have to work out is before you talk about your business expenses, your personal ones. So the first one to do is actually go back and check the last six months what you've actually been spending your own money on. And the easiest way to do that is go back through your last three months' bank statements, get out a highlighter, and the easiest way I've do, I teach my clients to do it is go through and make three categories. The one is the musts, things you have to spend your money on. You can't help it, like rent. Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> Depends no. how you go there. <laughs> or coffee might be one coffee a day, but the second coffee might come under the next category, which is wants, right? Yeah. Wants is the things that... If we would, there's no point in us working as hard as we do without being able to enjoy that stuff. So it might be having a few drinks with the boys. It might be whatever that might be. The next one is crap. It's the stuff that we don't need to spend money on, but we do because we have it there and spare. <laughs> and that's things like, like me personally, ciggies for me. I'm not a smoker, so I look at that every time. I'm like, why would you spend your money on that? So much money. <laughs> Some people might say the same thing about alcohol. 
So by the same they makeup and clothes. Like if you're a bloke, you're like, why do they spend so much money on this? The <laughs> girls are like, why do they spend so much money on beers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like those sort of things. E-bikes. What does an e-bike fall under? <sighs> For me, it's a must. <laughs> <laughs> I ask because we're, Hamish and I are taking our e-bikes out for a spin after this <laughs> chat out in the rain. All right, so you've got the stuff that's just shit. That you yep. shouldn't be like, if you looked at it, like, that was a poor choice. Yeah. Maccas, five times that in a week. And I've seen this many times where clients, like, they're at home and they've ordered Uber Eats eight times in a week. Man, instead of going out and get it. Don't spend money on OnlyFans. Yeah. Stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, but this is the stuff that we see on all the, every day is the stuff that you should not be spending your money on. Gambling, that's mm. a whole different issue itself, but banks hate the fact that they, moment they see gambling on your bank statements. Yeah. yeah. All right, so they're the bad things. You've got the wants, which are like, they're the luxuries in life that make you feel good. You you're not living life unless you're you, you're able to actually choose to go out and have a meal at a restaurant yeah. or go to the cinemas or within reason go yeah. for a trip. Yeah, within reason. But those are the things that you you don't really want to be living life without the ability to do those things. Yeah, then the masters are things you can't move. You, they're the boulders in life that you, you just have to pay it and you got to suck it up. Yeah, rent. So that's the, the, yeah, rent. That's the first one, right? Go through and work out your own personal expenses. And then go through and add a bit on top to actually cover your business expenses because the moment you do that, there's a few more meetings where you go out for coffee and catch up with people. You might want to, if you get a nice client, you want to take out for lunch. My, my entertainment bill is probably too big in my business. <laughs> All those little bits and pieces, they're the things you have to add on top. Same as it might be a bit more time in the car because you might have a bit more time in petrol for actually going out and seeing people and going out and doing jobs. Yep. Sorry, is this in a separate category now? You're talking about yeah, a fourth so business category. So the first one was around your personal expenses because mm -hmm. if you're working this out, you've got to work out what you're going to spend yourself and you've got to cut that down as far as you can. Mm -hmm. The next one around is what you think you need to add in there for business. And that's things like equipment. So if you guys like buying cameras and like that stuff's mm -hmm. expensive. Sure is. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to work out what is the cost of delivering your service. So mm. the cost of goods sold can be a, a term usually used. How much is it going to, what do you need to be able to deliver your product or service? Yeah. And the most important one is actually what's the dream? Like the minimum you have to work out is a minimum because you need a minimum. But what I'd say that everyone needs is it work off aspirational. I want to actually earn 150k in my first year, so I've got a shitload of cash and I'm feeling good about myself. Then work towards that. Work your budget off that as well, because that's another thing with a lot of people when you first start out is you go for every job you can and you charge less to get those jobs and you're working your ass off to make less money than what you were previously. Yeah. Whereas sometimes you go, maybe I'm better off letting that smaller one go to actually focus on getting more money in from a bigger deal and focusing on the stuff I actually want to do in quality. But it's hard when it's a business because you've got to make the money. Especially when you're starting. Yeah. Okay, so we've got personal finances and then business expenses covered. Is there anything else you need to work out before you've got your kind of simple budget sorted? Add tax and everything else on top. Nice. So when I say that, add 20 to 40% on top, because depending how much you earn, that's how much tax you're paying. Good one. Yeah, so when you say on top, though, just to be really clear on yep. this, how do you calculate that? So you end up with a number, here's my aim for personal income that I need to earn. What are we actually trying to figure out? How does that fit into the mix? So let's work backwards a little bit. Let's say you want to earn the 80K. What you want to earn is a personal employee and that means you're going to take about 60k home for yourself to actually work if you're allowing that tax component on top the easiest way to do that is jump online search up um, either jaws calculator or uh, payg calculator and you put in what the income you're thinking going to bring in and at least give you what your component of the tax is it's not exact because when it comes to being self-employed 
There's so many things you get to deduct, which is the cool part of being self-employed. You get to deduct a home office. You get to deduct all those little things like e-bikes. Yeah, <laughs> that's totally. how I got to work this morning. 100%. All these little bits and pieces, right? You've got to find out. To get, once again, that comes down to also getting the right accountant who can give you the advice and the structure around to what you can claim and where never to do the wrong thing, but where those lines meet and to make sure you're getting the maximum benefit you can. Yeah, so you've got you've used that calculator and you're like, yep, 80K will get me 60K worth of living in my pocket money and that's going to cover all those things that I worked out before. And then I've worked out that I it's going to cost me 20 grand for a nice even number to run my uh, business in terms of my business expenses. So that's got me 100K. Yep. Now what do I do? That's the base. That's the starting point, right? But then from there, you put that aspirational figure in place. Don't work towards them. Never in life work towards a minimum or a, the worst case scenario. Work towards the most positive. Mm. And then if you fall short, that's fine. Because I can guarantee if you aim for 150, you're not going to hit the 100. You're probably going to hit the 120, which is still awesome. Yep. And if you aim for 100, you might hit less than that. 100%. If you, hit, if you aim for the minimum, you're not going to hit it. Yeah. Good advice. Definitely. Now, what are some of the mistakes people with their dialing in on that business expenses component, they go, oh, I can get a car now and I can deduct that. So it it sounds all fancy and like you're doing yourself a really big favour, but are there any particular mistakes or ways to set that up for success when it comes to purchasing equipment or other items that might cross over between personal and business? There's no easy one rule because everyone's a little bit different, of course. And my biggest belief when it comes to all finance is the fact that if you're not happy, there's no point I am going for less. If it's something that's going to make you happy and it's going to help you enjoy life and be successful in your own self, that's the priority. If that's not buying a house, then that's cool. But as long as it's being successful in yourself. So if you're buying that thing that I might sit there and go, that's crap, as long as it's right for you, that's the main thing. But as far as the issues I've seen is the moment they get into it, this is not just self-employed, this is everyone. Stuff like buy now, pay later schemes like Afterpay, zip pay, all these sort of things getting a credit card and maxing it out in the first year and then having to pay that off because they don't realise that compounding interest kills you. You get your credit card for $7,000 credit card, your monthly repayment is 90 bucks, which sounds fine, but 80 bucks of that is the interest and the $10 of that is actually paying off the principal. So you're paying that off the next 15 years type thing. It hurts. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's, that's an example. That's that $3,000 TV that you purchased over the life of a credit card uh, paying ma- minimum repayments. You could literally potentially be paying five times what the actual purchase price of that TV was, for example. 100%. And look, there are ways that, to use credit cards, buy now, pay later, in the right way. I'm not going to get into it now because I think it's going to confuse everyone. Mm. The biggest thing we're talking about now is when you first start off and that's to be simple with it and if you can't afford it don't buy it or if you can't afford it but it's something that's going to help make you money so if it's actually going to be in your business it's going to help you make more money so it's going to buy that extra camera or it's buying equipment for an employee you're going to bring on or if it's doing something like that sick do it it's going to make you more money but if it's something that's just yeah, an yeah. e-bike okay. <laughs> if, if it increases capacity and ability to charge more do more work hit yep. that target audience that you get your target client mm. then that's a good investment 100%. yeah as a general rule good and bad debt but i'm sure you'd echo the the advice is to not base it off emotional decisions make sure that you've got some rational workings out if you because you can always what's that term where you can always rationalize 
purchase that you've made, like post-purchasing rationalization or something, if you want something, you'll find a way that it makes sense yeah. in your own head. It's like when you tell your partner, but it was on sale yeah, exactly. and I couldn't get it this cheap anywhere <laughs> yes. else. Uh, and the perfect example is the fact that whatever it is, don't buy anything in that moment because that's a salesman's dream. And that's yep. coming from someone who's done sales in the past. People, salesmen want you to buy in that moment because it's the emotional part. that They don't, they don't care what you're going to spend. Yep. This is what I say to my mum every day. She's a hoarder and she spends way too much money. Don't buy anything in that moment. Wait a week, then buy it. Yep. If it's that urgent, actually nothing really is that urgent you have to have in no. that moment anyway. no. You can wait a week. Even if there's a sale and they say, oh, this sale's only last two more days, I can almost guarantee there's another sale coming up. There's another time to do this. Mm-hmm. And it gives you that week to actually sit back and go, okay, I do need it. I do want it. It's going to be worth it. With business expenses and, and personal, it's very easy to be over-optimistic about what this purchase is going to do for you. And you can just end up buying things you don't really need. But the principle, from a business perspective, debt can be okay if that uh, thing that you're buying with debt is going to make you more money than it's gonna cost you. So for example, in my business, we originally financed our computers and our original camera gear. And that meant that we were able to charge money for making videos. If we didn't have the cash at the time, so that was a risk as all debt is, but it worked out because we were able to charge a good margin that covered the, more than covered the repayments and profit on top of that. That's exactly it. And look, a car is a perfect example of this because once you get to a certain level, what people will find is once you've actually got an ABN and you've BAS uh, registered, you have finance companies that'll give you up say 70, 80K without, with only say two quarters of BAS and don't check the rest of your financials. So everyone else goes, sick, this is awesome. I can buy this $50,000 car, but do you actually need it? Do you actually want it? Is it actually a purpose there? And the problem is accounts, it saves you money in a tax sense. And that's why they say write off that one-off um, asset write-off that you would have seen during COVID in particular with $150,000 asset write-off because they want you to spend money. Mm-hmm. But is it actually helping you? Oh, hold on. Don't to go into too much depth uh, here, but are we talking about they stimulated the economy to this, we're going a little bit off track here, but let's go. <laughs> they stimulated the economy by giving us all this tax write-off stuff, and then our economy was all stimulated just like they wanted it. And then they said, "Oh no, too much stimulation. Let's give the banks more money <laughs> and raise the interest rates to slow this down again." It's like a yeah. cat and mouse game. I'm it's so a, confused. It's a seesaw. You are 100 percent right. The system's broken, <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard. Like I am. Capitalist people might hate when you say that, but <laughs> I believe in the fact you get rewarded for the things you do. But the problem is, a lot of the system is not right, and yeah. that's a perfect example where the asset right off the, the purpose around it was getting small businesses to keep spending money on other businesses to actually keep the economy going, keep people employed. All the other stim, all the other crap, it didn't work. No. <laughs> it worked for that moment, didn't it? It had some other flow on effects. But, you know, yeah. At the same time, those businesses were getting that plus or getting the JobKeeper plus all the other business scams. That money not necessarily should have been handed out. Depends on who you are. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's an interesting one. It is interesting because I know that some of those payments really helped me as an early business owner to keep a roof over my head and, and keep practicing in the business that I was doing. There's ebbs and flows and what helped some stay on their feet also took people who were on their feet to the absolute next level with record profits. Yeah, and that's the, right. the ultimate one there is don't forget that anything they gave out, we're paying back in tax. Eventually, yeah. We're paying yep. it back. There's new taxes coming out now from Vic government. 
back. That's all getting paid back. That's what they're after now. They're trying to claim all that back. Yeah. Can't they just take a bit of the interest rate money? Like the banks get all this extra profit. Can't they just be like, hey, banks, help us. You're earning more. Just help us chip away at this for the good of the people or something. Reese for oh. Parliament. Into a big scheme of things, a big kettle of fish. Like oh like, man, that's that. There's a, that's a huge kettle, and yeah. there is a lot of fish in there. It's just so complicated. <laughs> and the fact that, like, what is it? I think it's only sixty or seventy cents in the dollar is actually from from Australian sources. The rest of it comes from overseas. Actually, I think it might be the opposite there. Yeah. So half our money is actually borrowed from overseas areas. So even the stuff that's yep. in Australia. It's not the money that's going back in there. It goes elsewhere as well. So there's so many other complications to it. But oh I'm not against it. I believe in bigger companies actually have to pay a bit more tax. This is a rabbit hole. That, I was going to uh, say this yeah. rabbit hole is all the way down. And yeah. if you're still with us, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe it's something we should delve into a bit deeper on another episode. I definitely have some thoughts. I tell you what. Yeah. Oh, That'd be a good one. We need, we need at least an hour or two and a couple of beers to sit around and do that <laughs> conversation. We'd well, solve the world's problems. Oh, we'll <laughs> and we'll write it all off as a business experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Sorry, guys, I, I got a bit deep there. No, that's good. We're trying to give some practical advice and not just be absolute financial doomsday preppers. <laughs> We've talked about good debt in business, unsecured debt. Can you just like explain that a little bit more for me? What that means and yeah. how people should think about it. Unsecured debt is it's basic nature. Of the, it's any debt that's not secured by an asset. Car loans. Some car loans are as, uh, asset backed, so they're secured. Some are unsecured. But all credit cards are unsecured. When you get a business overdraft, they're usually unsecured. So it means the fact that the bank is going to charge you a high interest rate, anything that's unsecured, because if something does go wrong, they can only chase you. They can't chase you for the asset that's been used to purchase. Yeah, so a secured debt is when, say, you've forfeited your payments, I'm going to come and take what you bought yep. and we'll pay off that debt Correct. on your behalf. Yep. And unsecured is when they can't do that. Yeah. The best way to think about it is good debt versus bad debt, which is it's an oxymoron in itself, right? But good debt is something that's going to help you moving forward. They usually use good debt in the tax sense. I believe more in the fact that what it's going to help you get to, it's going to get you towards where you're aiming at. Bad debt is stuff like buy now, pay later. It's that credit card debt that you've just used for having a few beers and you've spent too much money. It's 18-year-olds who are sort of, as I said, when I got a five grand credit card and now he's maxed out and he can't pay it back. That's basically the unsecured versus secured debt. The main one is to avoid your credit cards or have it there, but have it there as an emergency. But when you're doing your budget, for example, like we talked about before, instead of working off that 80K plus that, put in a 10K buffer to actually allow you to cover your other expenses and everything else like that. Mm. So you can use that money. But the problem is, I know we all know this as well, if you have 10 grand sitting in your bank but there's a $5,000 credit card there, and you have a $2,000 expense, most people would prefer to use the credit card and pay back the interest than to use their money in their own account because that's their safety net. That's that emotional attachment, which once again, mm -hmm. it's emotional, so it makes us feel comfortable, but it's not the right thing to do. It's mm. not very smart. No, but, but once again, the emotional factor, and we're all scared that tomorrow we have nothing to use or nothing to spend. We'd rather use the bank's money or someone else's money to go do that rather than using our own money we have in the bank. Mm, you said you're a capitalist. There's obviously pros and cons to <laughs> capitalism, but isn't it annoying how they like? We don't think about the, all those emotional triggers. Is the system not designed that way? They know that, don't they? Hundred percent. Oh yeah. boy. Oh, hundred percent. And that's the problem. Is that they're salesmen. They're salespeople, right? They're trying to get you to spend your money so they make as much money off you as possible. That's well, what a, that's, spend their money. Yeah, spend that, the money you don't have. That's what a bank is there to do. They're, they're there for their shareholders to make money to then distribute dividends to the people who already have a shitload of money. That's the basics of it. Yeah, I'm, but when you wrap your head around that, it's annoying. The banks, 
they are not designed to serve their customers. No. They are designed to make money off their customers and serve their shareholders, which is just dumb. It is dumb, but I suppose in the real world we're in right now, save your money, buy shares in the bank and actually become <laughs> yeah, so beca- money back become from one of their shareholders. Or <laughs> so you the whole thing is don't work from the emotion, start yeah. actually spending your own money, focus on getting yep. stuff that works for you instead of going towards that bad debt. And it's like maybe a bit of a, you got to remember that when the bank person is selling you on this like really great interest rate for to be able to do this, that and the other they'll come across like they're helping you, but they're helping themselves and you just need to be very conscious of that and have your Mm. own interest and your own really good advice from other people Mm -hmm. to balance that. The next part is, this is the part that people don't actually like necessarily talking about, is take responsibility for your own actions as well. If you take the credit card, you go spend the money, that's your fault. You stuffed up there. Yeah. Just because some gave you the opportunity to go spend five grand, they didn't make you go spend the five grand. That was your choice. Yeah. That's Mm. a hard one. But you actually did sign me up for a credit card one time. I did, yes. Yeah, that was sick. Financed part of my trip overseas. Yeah, I did, yep. And, uh, <laughs> my nab days. Yeah, yep. But, and I remember you specifically talked me into a lower threshold of amount that I could yeah. that I could borrow. Do not get the big credit card. I which said that was five times. Don't get. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Because yep. if you get the higher credit card, you can guarantee you're going to spend it. 100%. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I I was happy to pay the interest on that. In that particular example, it was a one of a lifetime opportunity, a couple of months overseas. I needed a little bit of extra cash just as a safety net if I needed it to be able to really enjoy my time. I knew that I would have to pay it back. Yeah. And I went about doing that afterwards so yeah. you've got to you've got to know what you're getting yourself in for and that's what we go back to before we talk, that's the wants right that's that in that moment it's going to give you happiness it's going to give you joy it's something you can't do again it's not a must but it's not crap because it's not like you're just spending money doing nothing at home mm. you're actually getting experience you're actually learning that that's the good stuff like it's nothing wrong with doing that as long yeah. as you understand the the consequence the implications all right it's been a really great chat <laughs> i think finance i'm really loving it finance at the moment it's just so fun um but it's fun. there's one last topic i think we should really touch on and it's home ownership for self-employed people yep yeah because that can be a real challenge can't it hamish <laughs> definitely hard and I, I get it all the time where people can't they're, they're sitting there going, i spend all this money i've got these great assets uh, when i say assets are cars and equipment and business tools why can't i buy this house i already i have i'm making 150k a year that is awesome but you're currently spending hundred fifty thousand dollars a year you're not proving to the bank because you've saved zero dollars uh-huh there's a few different parts, but one is around the income part of being self-employed. And I'm going to talk in general nature here, not separate the whole company versus sole trade, we're going to talk in general. And that's the fact that paying yourself what you actually should be and getting paying tax on that, because if you're not paying it on tax and your notice of assessment in NOA, a notice of assessment that you get every year when you lodge your tax return, that says what your what the government deems your income to be. That's what the bank uses, or part of what the bank uses, to actually assess you as your borrowing power. So if you've only said you've earned 30K there, but technically you've actually been spending 70 or 80, they're only gonna use a 30. A massive part of that comes down to, because if something does go wrong, if the bank used a higher figure and it went to court, the bank's gonna go get told, no, nah, stuff you, you used the figure that wasn't the government approved one, you lose your money and you actually can't get the money back from the customer. Yeah, and I have to thank you, Hamish, you helped secure my mortgage with my partner first mortgage i've ever had my name on uh, a couple of years ago and i was a year 
and a half into being self-employed. Actually, probably more like a year. I'd had the business running for quite a few years and had been doing all the ta- paying the tax and doing the things. And it was also the first year of COVID, so yeah. that wasn't great. So the revenue, the gross income and the net income wasn't as high as I'd projected because of just life, yeah. everything. And I was really shocked when it came back my partner has a really good secure job and that's very lucky for us to be able to secure a loan. But ha- they credited me at some ridiculous amount. What, how does it work? What was the deal there? So I think for there, because you had your gross income, we talked about it before, your gross income, but then because it was your first year in business where you had the tax returns done, you'd spend a lot of things on like equipment, all that sort of stuff. So anything you spend on your business, that comes out of your cost. So the government then goes, okay, you've earned, let's say, for example, 50K, but you spent 30K on expenses, that means 20K is your actual income. But then if you also then have a credit card or some other stuff. So I think in that situation, then I think we could... Was it, it was 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month we could actually contribute from your self-employed income because the other part, I think we were two months away from lodging your new tax returns, which would have been fine, but because we actually could only go off the one and a half years at the t- that point, we couldn't actually use all your income. Yeah, so basically, even though um, was feeling like I was in quite a good position yeah. in business and, it, and it, had a really, it was in growth and there was projected positive future for it, the bank said, oh, great, you have the potential to contribute $50 a fortnight (laughs) to the mortgage. And I was like, what? And and it's nuts because at that point, without talking actual figures, at that point, let's say you actually bring in 3K a month of actual income. But because on your actual tax returns, we only had previous, it doesn't matter what you're earning right now as a self-employed person, it only goes by your tax returns. Yep. All right. Good one. Yeah. It's quite crazy and it could be quite shocking for a lot of self-employed people to go through this process for the first time. So how can we give us some practical tips for those who aren't homeowners yet? Maybe they're thinking it'll be something they want to do in the future. You've already said the first step is pay your taxes, get it all on the books, make sure it's documented. But what other kind of things can we do to increase our likelihood of the bank liking us? Number one is the moment you're thinking about buying a house, get in contact with someone and start having the conversations around it because we can actually sit there and go, look, based on what you've got now, this is how much you can borrow. So you can sit there and actually have that, oh, Mm. shit moment straight away. Talk with who? With a professional it is. I want to say mortgage brokers because I'm a mortgage broker and I do believe in what mortgage brokers do. But whoever it might be that you want to go to, I still suggest mortgage brokers. (laughs) (laughs) An accountant? No, they're not going to help you with the borrowing power. They're going to help you with the taxes side of things. But they can give you an idea, potentially, like an online calculator. But the reason why you speak to a mortgage broker is we have the calculator to actually go, this is how much, and we can go through and say, with these 40 banks, this is your blending power with each bank. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. And each bank is slightly different because, for example, ANZ is amazing because they'll actually use one year's financials instead of having to make you use two. CBA will do the same thing, but they look at your second, the first year still, and they can cause issues. Um. But then there's other places like Bank Z, what we won't call it what it is, but that bank, they're painful when it comes to self-employed people because they'll use all the debt that's under that business against you, and they won't let you use the income that you want to use as well. They're just terrible. Uh. Bank Z. No good. Bank Z, no good. I'm not going to say it in case I get in trouble from the BDM for uh. my contacts. <laughs> no, we're not mentioning anyone in particular. But, yeah. um, but, Speak to, say, a mortgage broker early and actually just say, what's this? Talk about all the schemes in place. For example, there's things like the first home loan deposit scheme now where the government says, if you have a 5% contribution, we'll add to that. And there used to be issues, for example, where you had that 5% had to come from, if it was, if it was a gift from mum and dad, that money had to be sitting in the bank for, say, three months plus. 
Whereas now there's actually one bank in particular that once it's been in there for a month, they don't care, they're, they're happy with it. But if you've saved that money yourself for three months, you can then go buy that house as long as it's under 650000 in Bendigo area, for example. 650000 as long as you have a 5% deposit, you can go buy that house as long as your financials match up. All right. So, so there's all these different parts to it that you need to actually start having the conversation so that you know where you sit. There's no one-size-fits-all solution not, here. Yeah. Everyone's scenario is different, and you're going to have to put the books on the table yeah. and have someone look at them and give you some advice on what your next steps are. 100%. And the problem is if you go down the street to just the bank that's down the street from you right now, and you go in there, they're going to give you their policy and their process, and that might be fantastic. It might work for you as an individual, but that might actually be one of the banks that's not good for the self-employed person. So the scenario they're going to give you, they're going to say you need to earn, you need to wait another two years and you need to earn this much money. You can't write off anything in your business and you're going to use your business car loan against you. But then also you have to have a 20% deposit. And you're sitting there going, I'm never going to buy a house. How am I going to do that? <laughs> I'm yeah. screwed. But yeah. if you actually came and spoke to someone else, we're going to go, look, you do have to wait six months or this. You have to save a bit more money and stop spending money on all the crap. Get rid of those crap items we talked about. Stop gambling, stop getting on the OnlyFans, all those sort of things. And then go and spend the next six months, save a bit more money, and then we can get you a first home loan deposit scheme spot and go from there. Nice. The key takeaways are make sure that you talk to someone as early as possible so that you know where you stand and put in a plan in place to get your outcome, get your home loan or whatever you want to do, and don't spend money on things you don't need. Yeah. Don't t- take the emotion away from it. It's the Good one. one. It all just sounds a bit too simple, mate. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but it's like most things in life. It, the stuff is simple when you actually sit back and think about it. The implementation, it's not so simple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah. love that. It's got a lot of um, alignment with uh, how people think about health. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is just as simple as eat well and exercise, but yeah. you know how many different methods and things there are going around. Yeah, we know how many people are jumping on, let's do the shakes instead, let's do that, let's yeah, whatever it may be. Yeah, how about you just eat well and exercise yep. and sleep well. A lot of people who are actually successful and have a bit more money and everything mm. like that, mm. often you find that some of their times their health is a bit better because they're emotional and the emotional health goes towards a little bit of less shit spending sometimes. Yeah, good one. Mm. Uh, my mum is a perfect example. She'll hate me doing this. But as a nurse, I, I will say that nurses, the general thing, love to spend too much money because they're shift workers. So when they're sitting at home bored or they're sleep deprived, whatever it is, they'll end up spending money on crap. Mm. That's a, I can say there's a general rule of the percentage of <laughs> nurses I've dealt with. That's a general rule. <laughs> I would just like to say thank you to Kerry for buying a dartboard oh, and a dart cabinet because <laughs> way, it you must have been like from 10 that. years ago or something and yes. I was like oh hey mo what are you doing with this dartboard that's sitting in the shed and I was like oh why don't we put it up at my place and we'll play some darts <laughs> and what is it like it's still there now. ownership is it's mine thank you Kerry I think it's your dartboard now <laughs> <Yeah>. Reese. <laughs> there's actually some nuggets of gold yeah, in there too. Benefit. she has a sauna as well it's sick <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, much love to Kerry yeah. and um, thanks for joining us Hamish really appreciate taking us out of our creative comfort zone and talking about really fun finance things. If you've stuck around this far, good on you. I think it shows that you give a shit about your business. It's one thing to be creative and awesome at making things look cool or whatever, Mm. but you really, if you want to be successful, you've really got to think about this stuff. So go out there and get some advice. Mm -hmm. And what else? Well, one thing I'll add there straight away is it's funny, especially with the creatives, is they're always like, but I have to spend a thousand bucks to go see an account. And I'm like, 
But the creatives are the first person to say, but yeah, you have to spend money to get a good product, right? You have to spend money to get a good outcome, like True. whether it's a design or whatever it is, but you don't want to go spend 500 bucks or a thousand bucks to go to see an accountant to get the right advice on what to do with your business. It goes both ways. It sure does. And I'll give a quick example. I spoke to my accountant the other day and she said that she could save me about $30,000 in tax debt. And mm. I do not pay her even close to that amount of money. Would you rather spend money paying the government more than you need to or would you like to spend less on a accountant that will enable you to pay the government less 100 mm. yep. do that yeah brilliant all right thanks Hamish. thanks caleb for another great episode love it i hope i made finance fun for you guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> always all right until next time You've been listening to Country Creatives Podcast, hosted by Reese Hendy and Caleb Maxwell. It's produced by Amy Chapman with support from the Emporium Creative Hub in Mitchell Street, Bendigo. If you'd like to listen to any of our past episodes, you can visit us at emporiumcreativehub.com.au slash podcast. You can also contact the team there or find us on Instagram at country underscore creatives. We have an episode for you every two weeks, so if you'd like to be the first in the know, please subscribe to Country Creatives wherever you listen to your podcasts.